You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update for Judicial Watch here on social media. Thanks for joining us. The coup crisis continues. I'll talk about the ongoing constitutional crisis, the illicit corrupt attempt to overthrow the President of the United States. Uh, it's increasing in speed and in intensity, and I got some important information there for you, uh, including something very much related to it, which is information that the deep state uh, State Department was targeting Trump world with illegal monitoring using your taxpayer resources, an enemies list, so to speak. I'll talk about that. There's also breaking news out of the State Department talking about hundreds of security violations related to the Clinton email scheme. And plus, I've got some important information to uh, convey to you about the truth about the Syria debacle. Who's behind it? Obama, Clinton. I've got the details. I've got the documents. Uh, so a lot to talk about. Uh, first up is uh, the current crisis, which is the coup. Uh, this is the uh, so-called impeachment inquiry out of the House of Representatives run um, unbelievably contrary to history. It, it is just so far outside the norm of our great country's history. Uh, to, to, it, it highlights the unconstitutional, illicit, corrupt process that is being used here to try to drive President Trump out of office. You have the Intelligence Committee, run by the conflicted, complicit Adam Schiff, bringing in uh, 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 appointees of President Trump or uh, officials from the Trump administration uh, to question him or them on Mr. Trump's conversations and policies related to Ukraine. And let's be clear here. Uh, this type of activity has never taken place before in terms of a legitimate impeachment, impeachment inquiry. Typically, the president's able to have lawyers present. Other witnesses can come in uh, uh, that the president can bring in. Uh, it's kind of like a full, almost judicial process. Here you have a coup, which relies on secrecy, speed, uh, rolling over the civil rights of those it's targeting, namely the president of the United States. And of course, fundamental corrupt acts. And what's the fundamental corrupt act uh, among many behind this impeachment inquiry? It's the illicit communication between the uh, leaker of the Ukraine uh, phone call and Adam Schiff. Uh, that communication was contrary to law, and Schiff lied about it. Yet this corruptly formed, corruptly pursued inquiry uh, continues to be given credibility by the anti-Trump media and, frankly, the United States Senate, which has offered, uh, at least through Mitch McConnell, uh, the information that, yes, there will be a trial if there is an impeachment sent over, no matter how corrupt it is. That can't be the case. And I would suggest that you call your senators and you tell them, if you agree with me, and, of course, if you don't agree, you call them, too, uh, at 202-224-3121, that's 202-224-3121. Uh, and my view is, shut it down. There doesn't have to be a trial. They can dismiss it out of hand. And they should be telling the House right now that they are not going to buy into an abusive coup attack on President Trump. It's not going to go anywhere. 
51 votes. Don't listen to anyone who says they need 67. They don't, or two-thirds, or whatever the number is. They don't need any more than a majority to shut the coup down before it gets anywhere in the Senate. The idea that this process, and this is how I suspect it's going to go, they're going to continue these secret depositions. They're not even depositions in the true sense of the word. These secret uh, testimonies. They're going to cherry-pick information, compile it into an anti-Trump screed of a report, refer it to the Judiciary Committee, who will ratify it, and then they'll kick it out and presumably have a full House vote. I'm not even sure that they'll have a full House vote. I mean, their corruption is, and abuse of power is so, uh, is so far out that it wouldn't surprise me if they just tried to move it over to the Senate without a full House vote. But if you think there's going to be like a traditional impeachment inquiry in the House, I don't think it's going to happen. They want to have this done quickly. As I said, the coup relies on secrecy. Uh, before uh, the president's able to mount an effective defense. And uh, there's nothing the president has to be embarrassed about because the accusations are uh, corrupt in, or in origin in the sense it's a political hit job and intellectually and constitutionally dishonest because the president has an obligation and a fundamental right as president of the United States to take care that the laws are faithfully executed and to make sure that law enforcement happens. And he was absolutely right to talk to the Ukrainians and make sure that they were cooperating with the United States of America in this criminal investigation, or at least what ought to be a criminal investigation, into whether or not Americans were improperly coordinating with the Ukrainians in trying to inject the Ukrainians and, and take information improperly from Ukraine uh, to involve themselves in the uh, presidential campaign, and whether or not there was an illicit cover-up of what Hunter Biden was up to in the Ukraine with the help of his father, Joe Biden. The deep state would have you believe that because Joe Biden's running for president, he's immune from law enforcement, that we can't ask any questions. And that's not the way it should be. That was the argument with Hillary Clinton. It didn't matter what she did. She was immune from law enforcement because she was a candidate. The president has a positive obligation to make sure the laws are enforced. As far as I'm concerned, he should call the Ukrainians back and make sure that they are cooperating. Direct his Justice Department to say, hey, look, look at what my opposition is doing in the House to protect Joe Biden. They must be desperate. There must be something there. Certainly his, his son had an interview, I think this week, essentially confirming the reason he was on the boards was because his name was Bi Biden. So the president has nothing to be embarrassed about. The corruption is the House Democrats hijacking this awesome constitutional process of impeachment to try to protect their political candidate by harassing the president, impeding the uh, execution of his office. How's the president supposed to talk to foreign leaders with this craziness going on? 
The foreign leaders are all thinking, is what I'm telling the president going to show up in the media because some deep satyr doesn't like the president and he's going to leak it in a, in a potentially criminal fashion? I'm obviously concerned about the future of our country, our republic, but just think of what other countries are thinking of us. They've got this coup going on in the United States and the president is being uh, victimized here. They must think we're out of control. Some of these tin, tin horn dictators are probably laughing about how dysfunctional our system is where the rule of law takes a second back, a back seat to the political machinations of people like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi. And this is more of the same, of course. Remember, the Russiagate investigation, the hoax, whatever you want to call it, the smear, it was designed to protect Hillary Clinton, both during the campaign and then afterwards they were trying to destroy the president because they knew that a distracted administration, a Justice Department frozen in place by King Mueller, as I call him, wouldn't prosecute Hillary. And the Mueller report didn't do what they wanted it to do. I think it was very damaging to the president because I think there were all these violations of law and abuses and harassment of the president. What the problem was, no one was held accountable for it. So of course, the deep state the political opposition that has an interest in making sure that no one is ever held accountable used this Ukraine fraud to try to, actually now using this Ukraine fraud to try to remove the president. Obviate your vote. Negate your vote. And I'm not talking about those of you who just voted for Trump. Those of you who voted for Clinton. They don't care what the election results were. They don't think voters matter. The president has every right to talk about the Ukrainian involvement in our elections. This is what the Ukrainians have alleged to have done. The government was attacking candidate Trump. The government was leaking information on the president's campaign manager, Paul Manafort. The government was coordinating with the Democratic National Committee on anti-Trump material. How do I know this was an issue? It was reported by the left-wing media that the Ukrainian government was nervous because they knew everything they had done and Trump won anyway. And the hypocrisy, it's not really hypocrisy, it's a defense. They're trying to throw flack up into the air to protect themselves from the scrutiny that really should take place. The idea that President Trump is being impeached for investigating the Obama administration's misuse of intelligence resources in concert with probably a half a dozen countries just turns our Constitution on its head. The president is being uh, targeted for impeachment with this coup is to protect, be, to protect Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden from facing scrutiny for their conspiracy with foreign governments to take him out. And of course, the Democratic Party was involved in this too. Heck, they hired and paid, they hired and paid uh, Christopher Steele. That's the truth here.
Obama, uh, Clint, uh, excuse me, President Trump wants to investigate criminal activity and abuse, and they're trying to remove him from office for doing so. That's what happens in third world nations. That's what happens in unstable democracies or unstable countries. That's the abuse of power. It's not anything President Trump done, did, it's the misconduct by the House Democrats. So they have all this testimony, no one can see it. It's being leaked selectively, which is, you know, that's politics, I understand. But it's politics. It's not a constitutional process that uh, is, respects the rule of law, the presidency, and you. That's why we're doing our own independent investigations. We have three lawsuits on the Joe Biden scandal. So the coup wants us not to look into it. I mean, the coup is designed to protect them, uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, from any scrutiny. We're not going to be cowed. We will not be intimidated. We are going to investigate. We've sued three times. We have other Freedom of Information Act requests. We're investigating the ICIG, how this whole whistleblower scheme came about. So there'll be more lawsuits. And we've just uncovered, uh, thanks to a source, information that the deep state was very concerned about Joe Biden and Ukraine. How concerned was the deep state? Potentially, they were so concerned that they were willing to violate the law to protect Joe Biden. That's the way I'm interpreting the information we now have. Judicial Watch investigates if ousted Ukraine ambassador ordered State Department to monitor journalists and allies. This is the story of the week, folks. They had an enemies list in the Ukrainian embassy, our embassy, paid for with your tax dollars, in potential violation of the law. Judicial Watch is investigating if prominent conservative figures, journalists, and persons with ties to President Trump were unlawfully monitored by the State Department in Ukraine at the request of ousted U.S. Ambassador Maria Ivanovich, an Obama appointee, a career civil servant, foreign service officer, placed there by Barack Obama. She had to be pulled by President Trump. The Democrats had her in, questioning her. You would have thought she was Joan of Arc. She's a deep stater. The information we have is that she was directing the gathering of information in violation of the law on American citizens using taxpayer resources. Judicial Watch obtained information indicating Yanovich may have violated laws and government regulations by ordering subordinates to target certain U.S. persons using State Department resources. Yanovich ordered, reportedly, uh, the monitoring keyed to the following search terms. And this supposedly was happening back in March. I don't know exactly when it began, but it was happening back in March back when there was a lot of noise about removing her because she was an anti-Trumper, a never-Trumper. These were the search terms she wanted monitored. Biden, Giuliani, Soros, and Yanovich. 
Yuyanovich, her own name, obviously. Of course, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get the details on the information that we were given. Prior to being recalled as ambassador to Ukraine, she reportedly created a list of individuals who were to be monitored via social media and other means. So essentially what was going on is she wanted this list monitored using the key terms I'm talking about. So if she wanted to monitor someone like me, she would say, okay, every time Tom Fitton uses the phrase uh, Giuliani, Soros, Biden, or Yanovich, uh, I, you know, generate information, monitor, keep a track of it. The problem is that's in violation of the law. It's the Privacy Act that's being violated. The United States government cannot be creating files on you willy-nilly. Ukrainian embassy staff, Ukraine embassy staff, I guess we're not allowed to say Ukraine, well, I don't know. Ukraine embassy staff made the request to the Washington, D.C. headquarters office of the department's Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs. After several days, Yovanovitch's staff was informed the request was illegal and the monitoring either ceased or was concealed via the State Department's Global Engagement Center, which supposedly has looser restrictions. I don't believe that's true. The law still governs that. This is not an obscure rule. Everyone in public diplomacy or public affairs knows they can't make lists and monitor U.S. persons unless there is a major national security reason, according to a senior State Department official. It doesn't matter if the information they're monitoring is public or non-public, meaning they don't need to be tapping your phones to violate your rights by tracking you. We've obviously asked for all the records. You're going to be, you won't believe the list. This is the list that they set out to monitor. Jack Posbiak, Jack Posbiak, I, I, I keep on mispronouncing his name. Posbiak, Posbiak? Posbiak. <laughs> Jack is a reporter with One America News. Donald Trump Jr., the president's son. Laura Ingram. Sean Hannity, Michael McFaul, who is not a conservative, he's, Obama, he's actually Obama's former ambassador to Russia, Don, uh, Dan Bongino, who is a conservative contributor to Fox, uh, Ryan uh, Savidra, who I think writes for the Daily Wire, right? He's uh, online, he's on, he's, has a major influencer online. The president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, Sebastian Gorka, a former Trump official who is now a radio host, always on Fox. John Solomon, the reporter, investigative reporter, who's uh, done a lot of breaking story, broken a lot of stories on the deep state, uh, also on Fox. Lou Dobbs, Pamela Geller, who's a conservative activist online, and Sarah Carter, another investigative journalist. So listen here, guys. The president's son, his lawyer. And a host of journalists were being, according to our source, our sourcing, illegally monitored by this embassy staff operation out of Ukraine under Ivanovich. Now, you would think the media would be interested in that. Of course they're not. Fox News is interested in it because they've been targeted. One America News is interested in it because they've been targeted. The Daily Wire is interested in it because they've been targeted. But they're all conservative-leaning, seemingly. So the media that's concerned about the war on the First Amendment, 
when confronted with information that you had a government official who was so nervous about Biden, Ukraine, and Soros. Why is Soros in this list? Because you remember that prosecutor who was fired under pressure from Biden uh, in response to his threat to withhold a billion dollars in aid with Barack Obama's approval? One of the issues that was raised was not only Biden's son, but investigations into Soros operations in Ukraine. What Soros does is that he has these operate, he funds these groups. Uh, he has his open society groups in some of these countries, or he's uh, funding massively uh, left-wing groups in these countries to implement his agenda. And he doesn't need to spend a lot of money to have an outsized voice uh, in a country like Ukraine or places like we've investigated, like Macedonia, uh, there are concerns he's doing it in uh, Albania and obviously in Hungary there's been a big fight. But all over these newly emerging democracies, they're not so new anymore after the fall of the Soviet Union, and of course he's doing it in partnership or had been doing it in partnership with the Obama State Department. So why, why is the State Department illegally monitoring, or this deep stater in the State Department illegally monitoring American citizens to help protect Joe Biden and George Soros? Where's the media outrage on that? Is Congress investigating it? I'm confident that she was questioned about this. I'm not quite sure what she said in response. I suspect she denied it. We've asked for the documents. Where are the documents on this? This is the scandal. The president's son and his lawyer were being illegally monitored by the government. And the only reason it stopped, if it stopped at all, was because at least someone in the State Department said, you can't do this, it's illegal. So we'll see what pans out, what, what comes out of this, where I, you know, there's no doubt it's going to be confirmed. And, and I suspect, based on other information I have, it's even bigger than this list. It was probably more general in terms of targeting more people. And it probably involved the additional misuse of government resources because it was part of an effort, as I said, to protect Joe Biden and counter the President of the United States. This is, this is one of the outrageous aspects of this whole attack on President Trump. They have decided that the president, doing things that the president is supposed to do under the Constitution, is, invalid, is, 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 is walled off when it comes to President Trump. President Trump's not allowed to talk to foreign leaders. He's not allowed to uh, try to convince foreign leaders to follow American policy and cooperate with the United States investigations. He's not allowed to uh, fire employees of the executive branch. He's not allowed to direct employees of the executive branch to do their jobs effectively by using all resources available to them, like Rudy Giuliani. I mean, this, is, this is so laughable what's going on. You hear these, uh, to the degree everything's been leaked, it's all this breathlessness about the deep, uh, basically 
bureaucrats, both appointed by President Trump and the career civil service, were kind of upset that Rudy Giuliani was involved in this whole thing. Well, cry me a river. Surprise, surprise, the experts, the bureaucrats, didn't want someone like Rudy Giuliani asking them to do their jobs and demanding accountability for their failure to pursue these issues of corruption as it relates to Ukraine and our elections and the abuse of power here in the United States that's tied up in all of it. The president has a right to try to get the work done, and they don't think he does. And it's all about protecting the political candidate of their choice and protecting people like Hillary Clinton, whom I'm convinced still wants to win for president, which is her right. I don't know whether she's going to do that or not, but you can bet the Democrats are trying to make sure if she wants to, she won't be undone again by a criminal investigation. Speaking of Hillary Clinton, there's new information out. It's, it's, this, is not, this was not uncovered by Judicial Watch, believe it or not. It was uh, a result of an uh, inquiry from uh, Senator Grassley. It was response to this document. Uh, this is a document that suggests that there were hundreds of security issues related to the mishandling of classified information on the Hillary Clinton email scandal system. Hundreds. And it was uncovered by our friends at the Daily Caller News Foundation, and Chuck Ross did the report on it. Um, and Judicial Watch represents the Daily Caller News Foundation in uh, uh, FOIA litigation as well. And this is a report by uh, an internal operation in the Department of State that took six years, seven years, Lord knows how many years, to do an analysis of what was going on with classified information on Hillary Clinton's email system. You know, you have to remember, Hillary Clinton was not the only one violating the rules and the law in mishandling classified information. People were sending her classified information on an obviously private account all the time from the State Department. One of the reasons she was never prosecuted was because to prosecute her would have meant prosecuting a whole bunch of other bureaucrats and elected and appointed officials who were involved in working with her. Heck. Barack Obama was sending her emails. So they began the review back in 2004, uh, let's see, 2016. But it couldn't even get off the ground because the corrupt FBI told them, hey, you wait, we're, we're investigating this. We all know how that turned out. And then finally in July, they began their investigation of July in 2016. Now it's three and a half, was it? 1990, three and a half years later, they figured out what went on. They reviewed thousands of pages of documents. This is the internal team related to diplomatic security and the, um, it doesn't really matter what the name of it is, but I'll give it to you for fact, for your own reference. It's the uh, Diplomatic Security Office of Information Security Program Applications Division. So APD. So APD 
Their focus was to determine two things. If any of the emails under review represented a failure to properly safeguard classified information, and if in the instance of such a failure, any individuals could be determined to bear individual culpability. So the report goes on to describe their investigative process, which is bureaucratic and exhaustive. And uh, this is the interesting part, is the challenges they faced, according to the report. The unprecedented nature and scale of this event posed many significant challenges to the APD staff's accomplishment of this effort. I want you to hear that. Unprecedented scale and nature of the event. And that's caused by Hillary Clinton's conscious decision, in my view, to evade the law, violate the law, and use a private system to conduct government and classified business. First, and perhaps most obvious, is the sheer scale of the effort. A typical spillage, what does spillage mean? It's, it's bureaucratic parlance for classified information that's placed in, a, uh, in an area or location, both computer or, or physical, uh, that makes it susceptible to uh, dissemination uh, contrary to law. As I say, Hillary Clinton left thousands potentially, of uh, classified and sensitive information on the internet equivalent of a park bench. That's spillage. And when spillage occurs, or when they think it should occur, you're supposed to do an investigation. Now, what's interesting about this part is that Judicial Watch asked for such an investigation because the law requires they do a damage assessment when such spillage occurs, or when they think spillage occurs. Obviously, the Obama administration was protecting Hillary Clinton, so they didn't want to do a damage assessment. We requested the Trump administration do a damage assessment. And this Office of Director of National Intelligence, they told us it wasn't serious enough what Hillary Clinton did. Unprecedented nature and scale. It wasn't serious enough to do an investigation. We sued. And the Trump administration fought us in court. The deep staters in the Trump administration fought us in court and prevailed. They weren't required to do a damage assessment. Don't think the protection of Hillary Clinton ended with the Obama administration. It continues to this day. A typical security violation, oh wait, for... A typical spillage event involves a single email, meaning, oh, this email got out in a public, uh, into a public domain. We have to make sure, see out where it went and who was responsible. Not thousands of hard copy documents to be sifted through. Thanks, Hillary Clinton. A typical security violation involves pre-marked classified information discovered contemporaneously with the incident. None of the emails at issue in this review were marked as classified. Of course, some of that's on purpose because they knew or they thought they could get away with, and Hillary uh, tried to do that, uh, even though some of the material actually was marked classified. They thought they could skate through by saying, oh, it wasn't marked classified. Of course, that's not what the law is. And there's evidence that they were particularly uh, under... Uh, uh, translating information into the system from classified material and pretending and summarizing it, which doesn't make it less classified. 
to avoid and evade the law. Severe break in time between incident and investigation. I read this. This got me mad. I guess I'm kind of mad on everything today. The significant break in time, five to nine years between the incidents occurred, between when the incidents occurred and when, the, and when they were reviewed, posed se- several serious challenges. Listen to that. Five to nine years between when the incidents occurred. What's frustrating about this is the State Department knew Hillary Clinton was using her email system for government business immediately. How do I know that? Well, namely, because Hillary Clinton's the Secretary of State. As the head of the agency, she knew, and therefore the agency knew. Her top staff knew, therefore the agency knew. Judicial Watch has obtained testimony in from federal court or under federal court discovery orders detailing that they knew early on that she was using this system. I told you last week there was a senior records official who warned them six times about using government email systems or not using them properly like Hillary Clinton did. And yet because they hid that and and had this internal corrupt cover-up, those charged with protecting our national security, remember, when classified, classified information is classified because its release would harm our national security and place lives at risk. Think about that. People can die because of the release of classified information. That's why we have laws against it. Now, I know sometimes documents oftentimes are classified to protect corrupt government actors. But that does not mean individual in, uh, uh, employees of the government have the right to leak it or mishandle it. It's got to be declassified under the rule of law. That did not happen here. It was, instead, it was just placed on Hillary Clinton's unsecure system that, as we've discussed before, was likely hacked. So what happens is, it's uh, nearly 10 years, people leave the State Department, so the internal review is hampered there. They disappear. They don't have the contemporaneous recollections that would be helpful to investigators. And of course, this whole process here, this is an administrative review. It's designed to say, hey, look, this is what happened. And this is the most charitable handling of it. Look what you did here, employee. Make sure you don't do it again. And by the way, we're noting you did it, and it may impact your ability to keep your clearance. But this is all after the fact and retrospective, which adds to the damage to our national security because of Hillary Clinton's email misconduct. A lot of people are getting away with a lot of things thanks to Hillary Clinton's email cover-up. Individual trend, for instance, individual instances of problematic behavior that if reported as they occurred would be addressed in succession were instead all addressed at one time so the individual did not have the benefit of an initial incident adjudication to modify his or her behavior to avoid subsequent incidents. So 
even if so someone innocently had done something like this because as you know you don't need intent to violate the rules against the mishandling of classified information and if you didn't know that it's not fair to the, those being targeted here statutes of limitations protect both you know protect the interests of the public and it's not literally a statute of limitations here issue here, but the reason we don't want issues like this to, to kind of sit for years before anything's done about it, it's not fair to those investigated. It's not fair to the public that depends on the investigations being timely done and, and justice being meted out, how, whatever it is, either administrative or civil or criminal, in a timely fashion. That's why we want these things investigated quickly. It's fair to everybody. But it's all about protecting Hillary Clinton in the deep state. So what was the conclusion? Their administrative review of HRC's emails resulted in the adjudication of 91 valid violations attributable to 38 individuals. Additionally, APD adjudicated 497 valid, valid violations where no individual was found to bear culpability resulting in a valid but not culpable determination. Well, I don't know what that last part means. It suggests that there were people who could have been held culpable but may not have been because they were gone. But here, 38 individuals, 91 valid violations, hundreds of, well, almost 600 violations of national security rules, thanks to Hillary Clinton's email system. Now, to be fair, there could have been violations on non-classified systems if they did this type of analysis. But they were all necessarily violations because all this material was put on a non-governmental server that was unsecure. And these are the final observations. The use of personal email to conduct official business represented an increased risk of unauthorized disclosure. Those incidents, which then resulted in the presence of classified information upon it, carried an increased risk of compromise or inadvertent disclosure. That's Hillary Clinton's email. She placed our national security at risk. And despite the criminal nature of that, no one wanted to prosecute her. And this Justice Department inexcusably has failed to prosecute her or anyone else caught up in this. So there are at least 38 individuals that have valid violations is the DOJ going to invest? This is only an administrative review. What is DOJ going to do with it? Anything? Instances of classified information being deliberately transmitted via unclassified, information, unclassified email were the rare exception and resulted in adjudicated security violations. Okay, now let's do the mirror image of this sentence. There were instances of classified information deliberately transmitted on Hillary Clinton's email system. It was they were adjudicated security violations. I don't know what rare is, but there were instances of purposeful mishandling of classified information on Hillary Clinton's email system. We don't know what, what that was or who was involved there. Any prosecutors interested in figuring that out? 
Secretary Pompeo should refer the details, and we're going to FOIA all of this, should refer this to the Justice Department for prosecution. Secretary Pompeo should follow up on this report and refer it to the Justice Department for prosecution. And here's another sentence. There was no persuasive evidence of systemic deliberate mishandling of classified information. Okay, I want to hear what the unpersuasive evidence was. How's that? So like most administrative reviews, they're both exposés and cover-ups at the same time. This report is no exception. And what does Hillary Clinton uh, have to worry about? Nothing from this Justice Department. As I told you, they're still protecting her, and the only one doing anything is Judicial Watch. As I said, we highlighted uh, the classified, the mishandling of classified information to the Justice Department and the deep state. They didn't want to do anything about it. And it was Judicial Watch that uncovered this whole scandal to begin with, guys. We uncovered it. And right now we're in discovery, uncovering even more corruption behind the cover-up. The Obama White House was involved in the cover-up. The State Department knew and lied about it, withheld information that could have exposed the Clinton emails to protect her and themselves. And right now, federal court is deciding whether Hillary Clinton and her top aide, Cheryl Mills, need to come in and submit the questions in person under oath from Judicial Watch attorneys. I don't know if our attorneys are going to give this to the court, but they should. So this report is available, again, thanks to the Daily Caller News Foundation. I'm glad when other people do FOIA. It's amazing what happens when there's journalism, isn't it? It's amazing. I'm glad that Judicial Watch has a little more assistance out there. You know, we represent the Daily Caller News Foundation. We're always happy to, we're always happy to help journalists try to find out information from the government. Hey, even if you're with the New York Times and the Washington Post or ABC News or NBC News, and I've talked to journalists from all those places, we're happy to provide advice. We're always happy to support journalism as opposed to the advocacy that is passing for journalism these days. People like the Daily Caller News Foundation and Judicial Watch, we do more substantial journalism on these core matters of government corruption than any of the major media. Judicial, I, with all due respect to our friends at the Daily Caller News Foundation, no one does more journalism on the key issues of the day than Judicial Watch. We deserve a Pulitzer Prize. Speaking of which, in terms of journalism, or whistleblowing as you might call it, I want to talk about this whole Syria issue. Because the president has uh, uh, changed uh, policy, or actually started keeping his campaign promises, which is an outrage as far as the deep state and the establishment media are concerned, uh, to, uh, that has resulted in Turkey asserting uh, its security interests to in northern Syria. When the president looked at what was going on there and saw that Turkey was going to push and he was not going to get in the way, 
He's trying to restrain them from um, going over the top. But I don't recall voting to have American lives on the line for uh, dubious Kurdish organizations that have been designated as terrorists by the United States. Do you? Did you vote for that? I don't think you voted for it. I don't think Congress even voted for it. But we've got American troops there. I mean, Syria is an absolute mess, and it's not a mess because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has had to clean up the mess created by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. How do I know that? I'm not just saying that to defend Barack Obama, uh, to defend Donald Trump. I'm saying it because Judicial Watch has the documents that show it. When perhaps what was, uh, I would say this is, we have a lot of significant work that we do. And our Benghazi lawsuits were because they led obviously to the creation of select committee, the truth about what the Benghazi lies that Trump, uh, that Obama told us, and the Clinton email scandal. Uh, that whole universe of investigation was the most significant, I think remains the most significant non-governmental investigation in American history. And one of the key aspects, uh, one of the key documents that we uncovered, and I think it's arguably the most important thing we've ever found, are documents showing, and this is the headline, Judicial Watch, Defense, Department's, uh, Defense State Department documents reveal Obama administration knew that al-Qaeda al -Qaeda terrorists had planned Benghazi attack 10 days in advance. The funny thing is, that's not even the most important part of it. This is the most important part. Well, I guess we can argue about what's more important, but I, we couldn't write enough headlines on these documents. Administration knew, Obama, three months before the November, 12th, November 2012 presidential election of ISIS plans to establish a caliphate in Iraq. Administration knew of arms being shipped from Benghazi to Syria. Okay. They knew and were supporting terrorist movements in Syria opposed to the Assad regime. And we knew arms were being shipped out of Benghazi to support that. And we knew it in such a way that almost certainly, if we, that's a, that suggests one of two things, that we were doing it or we could have stopped it. And on top of that, we were warned that we all knew we were supporting the terrorists, or the administration knew, they didn't want to admit it. Uh, but also they were warned about the rise of ISIS that we're all supposed to be concerned about because President Trump has decided, with some evidence, uh, that, he's, that ISIS has been largely destroyed and we can end our participation in that region, or at least in that Syria area or basically allow the Turks to come in and do whatever the Turks need to do to protect themselves. So the documents show, uh, let me talk about the movement of arms from Benghazi to Libya, you know, from Benghazi to Syria. You know, that's a conspiracy theory, folks. Well, it's a conspiracy theory based on a government document that says 
let me get to here. Weapons from the former Libya, uh, this is a DIA document, Department of Defense Intelligence Agency. By the way, the DIA at the time was being run by General Flynn, and methinks it's because of documents like this that the Obama gang hated him and wanted to put him in jail. Weapons from the former Libya military stockpiles were shipped from the port of Benghazi, Libya, to the port of Benias and the port of Bor, uh, Borja Islam, Syria. The weapons shipped during late two, August 2012 were sniper rifles, RPGs, and 125 millimeter and 155 millimeter Harwitzer missiles. During the immediate aftermath of and following the uncertainty caused by the downfall of the Gaddafi regime in October 2011, which of course were precipitated by American military might under Barack Obama, which of course caused the murder of Gaddafi, and up until early September 2012, Weapons from the former Libya military stockpiles located in Benghazi, Libya, were shipped from the port of Benghazi, Libya. Of course, I've already read that part. The Syrian ports were chosen due to the small amounts of cargo transiting these two ports. The ships used to transport the weapons were medium-sized and able to hold 10 or less shipping cargo containers or cargo. The DIA document further details the weapons shipped from Syria during late August... Um, oh... The numbers for each weapon were estimated to be 500 sniper rifles, 100 RPG launchers with 300 total rounds, and approximately 400 Harwitzer missiles, 200 each of 125 millimeters and 200 each of 155 millimeter. Okay, guys, if you think the DIA had access to that level of detail without also information about who was doing it in a way that could have been stopped. And of course, the cagey about who was doing it. It's a passive voice. So we knew Benghazi was, and we're in a position to stop. I mean, if you know the, the actual numbers to the size of what weapons are being shipped out, the type of ships being used, it seems to me you're in a position to stop it. Or maybe you were involved in it yourself. So there you go. Obama and Hillary Clinton participated in the overthrow of the Gaddafi regime leading to the murder of Gaddafi, in rushed the terrorists that turned Libya into a plaything for them. Out of that was, with our knowledge, sent arms to Syria to fund the terrorists who were attacking and trying to overthrow the Assad regime. Now, I'm not a fan of the Assad regime. I'm not a fan of the terrorists. But when you have two terrible enemies of yours fighting each other, why do we come in on one side or the other? And certainly, why would we support al-Qaeda? You ask, how is it you know, Tom, we were supporting al-Qaeda? And I say, it's the DIA document that tells me this. And I'm going to read the document. This is the document that was given to us. You'll see it's heavily redacted. It's a DIA document. You see, this is a redaction. 
the, uh, the redactors in the government got smart. It always used to be in black, but that doesn't, that looks bad. So now it's in white. So these are redactions. And I'm going to read you the detail here. There's a lot, and I encourage, and we'll put the document up. Internally, and this document is dated in August of 2012. The general situation. This is about Syria. Internally, events are taking a clear sectarian direction. The Salafists, the Muslim Brotherhood, and AQI, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, are the major forces driving the insurgency in Syria. The West, Gulf countries, and Turkey support the opposition, while China, Russia, and Iran support the regime. I want to read that again. The West support the opposition. The opposition is the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda. We were supporting the terrorists, guys. AQI, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, supported the Syrian opposition from the beginning, both ideologically and through the media. AQI declared its opposition of Assad's government because it considered it a sectarian regime targeting Sunnis. AQI, I guess, is, uh, is Shia. AQI conducted a number of operations in several serious Syrian city, cities under the name of... Uh, Yaish al-Nusra, Victorious Army, one of its affiliates. AQI, through the spokesman of the Islamic State of Iraq, ISI, one of the progenitors to, I, to ISIS, declared the Syrian regime as a spearhead, spearhead of what he is naming Jibhah, al-Afad, forefront of the Shiites, because of its declaration of war on the Sunnis. Additionally, he was calling on the Sunnis in Iraq, especially the tribes in the border regions, to wage war. We're supporting all of these guys. AQI considers the Sunni issue in Iraq to be faithfully connected to the Sunni Arabs and Muslims. The borders between Syria and Iraq stretch approximately 600 kilometers with complex terrain consisting of a vast desert, mountain ranges, uh, joint rivers and agricultural lands. So 600 kilometers, what does that translate into in miles? A little less than 300? Hundreds of miles. It's a vast desert, lacks transportation routes, and what was going on is the Syrians were pulling back from the border. The Iraqi government was incapable of policing the border, and there was this no-man's land in which a vacuum into which the terrorists were flowing into. Out of Benghazi, out of Libya, in Iraq, and obviously mobilizing the terrorist movements in Syria as well, with the support of the Obama administration, the West. Development of the current, then this is, this is the crux here. The future assumptions of the crisis. The regime will survive and have control over Syrian territory. The, the regime will survive. The regime will survive. In 2012, the Defense Intelligence Agency was telling the Obama administration the regime will survive. And yet we spent 
billions trying to kick it out. Displaced tens and hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, the Syrians, uh, you know, the Syrian government, they're, they're butchers. I understand that. But don't you want to win wars when you engage in them? And A, shouldn't you acknowledge you're engaging in it before you start supporting terrorists as a front to remove a regime you don't like? Development of the current events into a proxy war. Here, the proxy war that I warned about. With support from Russia, China, and Iran, the regime is controlling the areas of influence along coastal territories and is fiercely defending homes, which is considered the primary transportation route in Syria. On the other hand, opposition force, forces, the terrorists that we are arming and supporting, are trying to control the eastern areas, again, near the border at Iraq. In addition to neighboring Turkish borders. Surprise, surprise, the Turks were upset about what was going on on their border. Similar to what transpired in Libya when Benghazi was chosen as the command center of the temporary government. They're trying to do in Syria what they did in Benghazi or in Libya. That's what the Obama administration was doing. They were supporting terrorist groups in Libya to overthrow the Gaddafi regime, and they're trying to do it again in Syria. This document shows it. If the situation unravels, which it did, there is the possibility of establishing a declared and undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syrian regime, which is considered the strategic death of the Shia expansion. So they're trying to keep... And instead what happened is you had... Well, I'll read further. The deterioration of the situation has dire consequences on the Iraqi situation are as follows. This creates the ideal atmosphere for AQI, Al-Qaeda Iraq, to return to its old pockets in Mosul and Ramadi and will provide a renewed momentum under presumption of unifying the jihad against, among Sunni Iraq and Syria and the rest of the Sunnis in the Arab world against what it considers one enemy. The dissenters, uh, the one enemy, the dissenters, uh, their opponents in the uh, Syrian regime. ISI, ISI, ISIS, could also declare an Islamic State through its union with other terrorist organizations in Iraq and Syria, which would create grave danger in regards to unifying Iraq and the protection of its territory. And then there's this other point, the renewed facilitation of terrorist elements from all over the Arab world entering into the Iraq arena. That was foreseeable. All of this was foreseeable. Syria collapsed. It was only uh, uh, the Russians rushed in. The Iranians rushed in to support the Syrian regime. ISIS emerged. We had the terrorist threat from, Iraq, uh, from that as a result. Hundreds of thousands of refugees that the Turks are having to deal with, but of course that's rarely talked about. I have, I, again, the Turkish regime, obviously, is problematic. 
Erdogan's no friend of the United States, but technically he's an ally because he's in NATO, the country. We obviously have interests with the Turkey that we've thought significant enough to allow them into NATO. The terrorist mess and the Russia footprint in Syria, the Iranian increased footprint in Syria, the rise of ISIS, all foreseen by this document uncovered by Judicial Watch. So everyone attacking Trump after he spent and was convinced to continue the Syrian campaign that was started illicitly by Obama and Clinton as they played games in nation building and regime change in the Middle East. That's the truth about Syria. So if you don't like the results of what's happening today, blame Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. That's what this document shows. And I spent the time going through it because the media will never tell you about it. They think history begins, they hate history actually. The left hates history. The left is the enemy of memory. The left is the enemy of history. The left is the enemy of facts. The left is the enemy of truth. Because they need to be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they never want to be held to account. That's what's happening in Syria, and Trump's taking it on the chin for getting out of that morass. We have the documents. So what, what an update, huh? Again, we only do this with your support. Uh, we are standing against the coup. We are investigating the deep state. We're holding Hillary Clinton to account. And yes, we're educating the, uh, the American people on basic information about the truth about Syria, a war we're involved in that no one wants to talk about. So uh, we only do it with your support. I encourage you to get the word out about this information. I think these videos are important. The documents we talk about are important. Do you think they're important? If you do, you should widely share it in all of your networks on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all those social media platforms that I really don't know about, but a lot of people use. You know, I often say here, we're always worried about what we can do here, what's going on here in Washington, D.C., and, and the crisis, the constitutional crisis, and, and, you, and, and, and you know, my answer is, all you can do is what you can do. Are you doing what you can do? Are you supporting Judicial Watch? Are you doing the other basic civic engagement that you should do as a United States citizen? I hope so. And if you are, things may not work out the way you want, but at least you can tell yourself, your family, your children, and your grandchildren, I did what I could do. And it worked out this way, hopefully for the better, but even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, you can have a clear conscience because you've done your part to defend the country. And I'm glad to say, and I'm proud to say, and I'm convinced, Judicial Watch is doing its part to defend the country as well and defend the United States Constitution. So thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.